Here we are again, another podcast, another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you all so much for the downloads, all of the subscriptions. Thank you for leaving all of our ratings and reviews. And thank you for supporting the partners and sponsors that support our TV shows and our podcasts and our social media efforts. Today's episode of the This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast is again brought to you by our friends out of Lynchburg, Tennessee, the one and only jack daniels enjoy it responsibly never allow underage drinking but take jack with you to the lake to the ball game to the concert to the festival wherever you're going we choose to take it to duck camp and we enjoy it around a campfire after a nice day in the woods or the marsh the river systems that we are so humbly able to hunt on a daily basis again enjoy it responsibly but thank you jack daniels for supporting everything that we do here at the foul life and this life ain't for everybody podcasts and tv shows today's guest on the podcast you've heard him here before he's also been a guest on the foul life podcast he loves duck hunting he loves duck dogs and he loves to hit a baseball a country mile i believe he can hit a baseball a country mile charlie blackman what's up my man hey chad how's it going hi charlie how are you good nice sweatshirt you got there i know i don't have an updated one man i don't have i need an updated one wait it's a baseball sweatshirt i mean wrong Wrong huh? team. What? What does it say? Whole squad ready? Yeah. This is okay. This is your sweatshirt from last spring so, training. Like, we even have a Rockies logo on there. Yeah, your, right your there. Microphone's too big. You're too official. Okay, See? there we go. There we See, go. There it is. Looks good. Yeah. Uh, the other day I had Walker Bueller on here and I dropped your name and he said that you're one of the toughest outs in baseball. I like Walker. He's a good dude. He's uh he plays out there on the left coast, uh, but he's from Kentucky. Uh, and so you kind of, you kind of forget that you, you, you know, you got all these guys and they, they're really good at baseball. And just because they play in a city doesn't mean that they live there. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's a good dude. He's a, he's a, he's a, a new acquaintance, new friend, my, new friend of mine here in the last couple of years, but he's a, he's a heck of a pitcher. And I'm happy that, He's had a lot of success lately. Uh, I just wish it wasn't uh, against the Rockies so much. He, yeah, but you own him, don't you? Uh, I do pretty well against him, I think. I think so. Um, I'm not going to elaborate on it, but I, I think I think there's been some <laughs> strikeouts in there for sure, but there's also some success sprinkled about. Do you – when I was talking to him, I asked him about like a potential asterisk next to this world championship. And he made the remark of, well, somebody was going to be the world champion in 2020. I'm glad it was the Dodgers. Um, would you want that? Or would you want it to be 162 games, Charlie Blackman with the real playoffs, the real injured reserve, the real disabled list, the real, you know, that whole grind of a full season? Does it hurt that it is in a 60 game season or does it matter? Um, you know what? I really wanted to win the World Series this year. And so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's any less awesome than it is, you know, every other year. Uh, I, I do think it was not your traditional year, you know, 2020 has been pretty jacked up. Um, but I mean, it's everybody who's playing by the same rules. I was trying my hardest and I think everybody else was too. Um, you know, in some ways it's more challenging, not really knowing 
like exactly how the playoffs were going to go, exactly how the quarantine went, playing with no fans. So it, it counts. I'm not, I'm not putting an asterisk by that. Uh, you know, I'll know 2020 was that one weird year, and hopefully we don't have any more of those. But, but it, it definitely counts. Um, what about the pressure of any baseball season, any baseball game, the beginning of your season was like, I was just like every day reading, right? That's all I could do is go on. I don't get to see a whole lot of Rockies games living where I live, but it was amazing to see what I assume was seeing the ball as big as you've ever seen it. What, does media and pressure do to somebody that has these things you've written on his shirt to me long hair don't care uh you have the mullet party in the back business in the front happy go lucky charlie blackman likes being by himself on a little creek casting a fly rod after a brook trout or a rainbow or a brown uh, not a lot seems to bother you what was it like every day, like being talked about hitting 400 and knowing that the pressure was on, like Hank Williams Jr. wrote and sang about the pressure's on now. It's hard to stay. It's hard to get there. It's very hard to stay there. What happens throughout the season, even though it's a short season, where does it start to like level out to where you're like, oh, okay, that's more like it? Or were you like, I'm going to hit 400 this year? Um, I'll tell you what, we keep, we keep so many stats. That, that's one thing we love about baseball. I love it. I'm super concrete. I want to see numbers. I want to see proof. I want to see stats. And I, you know, I have lots of stats. I've accumulated some stats played for a little bit and I know that I'm, you know, a pretty good hitter and I expect to hit, you know, somewhere around my career average every year. Uh, but having said that, like, you still just don't know, like, like I feel like there's a healthy respect for the game and how hard it is that every player should have. And uh, as a matter of fact, my wife and I were talking about, you know, opening day this year and should we invite family and it's going to actually be against the Dodgers. And, and I told her, I was like, look, babe, opening day, I'm hitting zero, zero, zero. And there's a chance I never get another hit, you know, like I don't want to bring all my family in and then have me hit zero for the first, you know, week of the season. So it, you just don't, you can't take it for granted. And I think once you realize how hard it is and, and you, you know, you've really struggled, you know, I think that's when you learn how to play well, get hot, deal with the pressure of continuing to play well, deal with the pressure of success, which is sometimes harder than the pressure from uh, playing bad. Do you, do you consider yourself in a non-egotistical, very humble approach to this answer one of the best hitters in baseball today uh i mean no i i mean i think i'm pretty good and, and i think there's things that i do well um but i can look at you know i can look around the league and find guys that do you know each aspect of hitting better than me um i think i can kind of pull it all together you know do a little bit of everything well i can I can hit for average. I can hit for some power. You know, I can, I can stretch out extra bases. I can hit in the middle of the order. I can be, you know, down in the order, up in the order. So I, I think there's a lot of things I do well. And, and statistically I have, you know, played well for a bulk, you know, a, a chunk of time. And, 
And I've been able, you know, been lucky enough to stay healthy, be on the field. But I think if you were to look and say, I'm going to start a team with this player, I don't think there's a lot of people that would <laughs> that would say, I'm going to start a team with Charlie Blackman. Hmm. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that, but I won't argue it because I don't know if that, I don't know if we'll ever be able to prove that right or wrong, but I know that if you have any baseball IQ at all, you would want you in the starting, the starting three outfield positions in the offensive lineup, 100% hands down. So I understand your humility, but what you do and make it look so easy is the hardest thing to do in all of athletics. Okay. To be able to put the bat, which is round on that round little ball with the red stitches on it consistently, four out of 10 times for most of the season, three out of 10 times for your career. It's the hardest thing to do in sports. Now, swimming against Phelps, you're going to lose. I get that, but you know how to swim. I'm just saying that not many human beings can go and do what Charlie Blackman does on a daily basis in athletic events of hitting a baseball. A pitcher, it's hard to be a pitcher. You throw the ball, you got to take care of your arm, you got to hit your spots, you got to change your speeds, you got to be able to get different guys out, you got to know reports, all of that stuff. But until you stand in a box and see a ball coming at you at 100 miles an hour, maybe 95 to 100, from 60 feet, 6 inches away, I don't think people understand how difficult this act is. I'm not saying what LeBron does is not difficult or what Walter Payton did with running the football or what Michael Phelps in a pool does or what Chinese uh, ping pong players do. They all have their place in sports. I don't, uh, don't get me wrong. But until you stand in that little chalk box and see that ball coming at you from only 60 feet away and you have a minuscule of a second to react – how do you do it? Is it all about the mental approach and being able to 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 see the ball big, Charlie? Is it all of, or are you just is it superhero to be able to do that consistently? Because then you got to worry about the slider. Then you got to worry about the same arm speed with a changeup or the same arm action with a changeup or, or a circle change coming at you. Come on, man! It's so hard to do that. How do you make it look so easy? Um. I wish, I wish everybody had the chance to like stand in and see what 95 miles per hour looks like. You know, it's, it's one thing to see it on TV and I'll tell you what, like the, the NFL game looks so easy on TV, you know, and then you, when you get down close to the game, you realize how fast they're playing and how tight those lanes are. It's the same thing with baseball. It, it's, it looks like there's not, the ball's not moving as fast because they got that perfect camera angle, like right behind the release point. But it's, I mean, it's really hard and it's not something that you can show up and do without years of experience. And to be honest, I try to just put myself on autopilot and react to the ball as much as I can. There's no time to make conscious, like cerebral decisions. You're not doing that once the pitch leaves the hand. You can do that in between pitches. I'm going to make my adjustments, you know, in between pitches, step out, um, decide what just happened on that pitch. Okay. I need to speed my timing up. Okay. That's, I know how to do that. I've done that before. Step back in the box. And then hopefully once I'm back in the box, I'm, I'm on autopilot and just reacting to the pitch, but it's only, I can only do that because I've done it thousands of times through all the minor league stops and, and done it in the, you know, for you know parts of 10 years in the big leagues. 
Okay, so you take all of that and you put it into this little bio that you just said of your career and your experience and your at-bats and how many pitches you've seen thrown. But you still only do it three and a half average times out of 10 successfully. When, you, when you're in that on-deck circle as a professional athlete and you've been there, done that as many times as you just admitted – is it really just second nature? Like you got to get in there. And if it's a left-handed pitcher, you got to be like, I just got to let the ball get deep. He's not going to run it in on me. He doesn't have that good of control. I'm going to wait for something on the outer half. Do you know what your approach is going to be when you go up there? At least Do you have an idea. Almost always. So the good thing is, is I've, I've been around, I face most of the guys or at the very least I can watch them on video against similar hitters and, try to figure out what it's going to be like. I, I do the best that I can um, simulating it in my mind, uh, trying my best to read other hitter swings. Like if everybody else on video is late on this guy's fastball, I'm naive to think I'm going to get up there and I'll be the first big league hitter that's not late. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and make an adjustment before I get in the box maybe. Um, so I, I have a really good idea what my approach is going into that at bat. And I think that, that certainly helps me. But then I also, I'm going to be able to adjust pitch to pitch. And I think that's one thing that's, that separates um, when I'm going good versus when I'm not going good is the ability to tweak things after getting some information from one pitch, you know, make that adjustment and then implement it the very next pitch, get a hit. When I was playing baseball, one of the things that I always heard is as a, it was, you know, when you start to get deeper in the count, let's say it's a, you're a two strike, you're in two strike territory. It was always choke up and spread out. You don't see a lot of major league or big time ballers do this. Okay. They're still got their pinky around the, 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 the base of the bat around the knob. They're not spread out. They're in their, just their regular stance. Um, excuse me. Is it, a different approach with two strikes. Is there a different nervosa, a different part of your psyche that ignites a little bit to where you're like more protective? Or do you still have that same approach of see the ball and react and let it get as deep as I possibly can into the hitting zone and hit the ball where it's pitched? Uh, that's a little bit old school versus new school right there. That's, that's, uh, it's different for everybody. Some organizations have a plan. This is what we're going to do. And that's kind of where I was when I, you know, first came up, started playing professionally, they wanted to see a change. Um, and to me, that's a little bit like saying, don't strike out. And then going up there and saying, don't strike out, don't strike out. You know? So if I choke up and spread out, like it's like me saying, Hey, I'm not going to don't strike out. You know, if you, if that's your goal, I think you're going to probably strike out more than if you're just up there hitting, doing what you normally do, having positive thoughts, trying to hit like normal. Uh, but I will say like, I'll change things with two strikes. I'll be less aggressive. I'm not trying to hit for extra bases. I'm not trying to crush the ball in the gap. I'm more or less trying to swing at good pitches, take good swings. I kind of take the effort out of the equation. Once I get to two strikes. Walker made another statement uh, at the end of the podcast where I said, well, what advice could you give somebody that's 17 going into their senior year of high school to go to that next level of either D1 or JC or maybe even into the MLB draft? He said, 
you got to figure out how to hit the ball as hard and as far as you can. That's what they want to see these days. Whereas opposed when I was coming up, it was station to station, hit down on the ball, create backspin, hit a line drive into the gap, a hard ground ball, um, know where the position players are at. See if they're in double play depth, you know, keep it out of that area, whatever. But now it's like, I heard this in this travel ball and this private, this private uh, coaching in my area too, Charlie was, they want to elevate the ball. They want to swing up on it. They want to hit the long ball. Are we teaching the baseball players of today the right way to see and visualize and swing at a baseball if we're telling them swing up on it and, 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 and try to hit it out of the park on every hack? Uh, that, that's a good question. Um, I think most reasonable athletes can go out there and know when they've hit the ball well. Right. You, you, you know, you, whether it's baseball, golf, you know, anything, you, you kind of know, like, you know, when you've done it well and what you need to do is, is try and figure out how to do it well as best as you can most frequently. And I think to try and reverse engineer and say, Oh, like, I think more launch angled, you know, like that's how you hit home runs and then go to tr- try and add launch angle to my swing. I think that's backwards. I think you should try and hit home runs with your swing. And then, and then if you study it, you'll say, Hey, that's a pretty good launch angle. So I think your, your cause and effect is off there. I think you're, you're chasing the cause rather than the results that you want. Um, and nobody wants to hit the ball on the ground. Like I know that was super old school and it's harder to make a ground ball out than to catch a pop-up, but I'm trying to hit line drives or home runs because that's the most productive way to, to play, play the game. I'm, you know, I I just think, I also think there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of development to be had in the game of baseball and to just listen to one coach because that's his opinion is kind of a tough way to go about it. I, I think you need to, take control of your own career, whether that's baseball or duck hunting or whatever it is and and be the best you can as best you see fit. So if you're a defensive minded baseball coach and let's say that you're trying to get Charlie Blackman out as many times, or let's say just a, a pool hitter. And now you hear these talks of the shift being done away with where there's always changes in baseball. A lot of the changes in baseball have been to try to speed the game up. And now I hear that maybe a, a, a lefty's going to be able to get up there and not have the third baseman playing behind second base to where some of these shifts are very, very manipulated and very exaggerated. But it's because of the scouting report and where the pitcher's going to throw that fastball in the inner half. And they know that David Ortiz is probably going to pull the ball towards the right side of the infielder into right field. The second baseman is playing where the right fielder usually plays. The shortstop is playing where the second baseman usually plays, but a little deeper. Do you think that it's beneficial for them to take away the shift do you want to see it go away does it matter or why doesn't a lefty say all right well if you're going to play me there i'm just going to punch the ball into left field and no matter how i'm going to get it there i might break my bat but how does that what's your mindset around the shift uh there's a couple ways to go about it um one way is you know like i said i'm you know i've spent thousands of bats trying to ingrain these reactions into my, my swing. Like I I want, once my eyes like pick something up, I want my body to just take over and react. And usually that's just try and get a hit, try and hit a line drive. Yeah. I'm going to have a lot of 
really frequent misses that are ground balls on the right side, or sometimes it's fly balls to left field or things that are going to create trends. And that's where the shifts come from. But if I go out there and, and instead of having a goal of hitting a line drive, which creates sometimes those trends, if I try and do something different, like hit, aim the ball to third base and hit a ground ball. Like if I start totally changing things, now I'm, I'm almost getting in my own way. Like I'm, I'm trumping all of this hard work that I spent creating big league reactions and I'm trying to do something completely different. So I'm not going to be nearly as good at that as I am just regularly hitting. So, so now I'm, I'm caught in between, like, am I just going to hit and risk hitting into the ship? Or am I going to try and throw out all of my baseball development to try and squirt a ground ball down the third baseline? You know, I, I think that's, that's a predicament that every hitter who faces the ship is going to have to deal with. And, and it's tough, but I do think it's tougher for the generation of guys like me who are a little older and they're kind of set in their ways rather than the younger guys who are coming up still lots of development to be had. Those are the guys that can, that can maybe more easily choke up and shoot it the other way and beat the shift um, just because they don't have, you know, all of, you, you know, 10,000 big league at bats or whatever already under the belt. So there's are things in sports that are shunned down upon by the people that respect the culture of a certain game or athletic event. There's things that you don't do in some sporting activities. Um, if the shift's on, does it show a weakness in Charlie Blackman to choke up and try to beat it to the other side? Or are your big league comrades thinking, all right, there's no way he's going to be a weakling and try to go over there. He's going to try to hit the ball out of the right field still? I, I think it's, you know, there's certainly some ego involved. But for me, if you're putting a shift on me, you're telling me that, that you know, this out is very important. I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm letting the computer dictate where my players are playing. And so if you're doing that, I can, like all bets are off. I can bunt. I don't care if it's a 10, if it's 10 run game in the ninth inning and you put a super shift on, that's basically you telling me it's okay for me to bunt and, and beat your shift. So, uh, you know, I, I think you got to, you got to ultimately decide what's, what's the best thing for helping my team win the game. If you can't bunt for crap, maybe you should just try and like thump it over the ship. But if you're a guy who can bunt, get on base and there's guys behind you that can drive you in, you have to at least consider that that's the best thing for your team. Like singles are pretty much always good. And if you bunt, a ball down anywhere close to third base, it's pretty much a, a single. Like nobody's going to make get you out. They're shifting, so you kind of got to decide what's what's the best way to win the game. So, is it disrespectful though for Charlie Blackman to lay down a bunt in a shift? Is it shunned upon at all? No, 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 I, not at all. No I, no, I mean, I think there are going to be situations where traditionally, if it's say you're winning by five and it's the ninth inning, you would never bunt in that situation. Uh, just because that's, uh, it's just like an honor thing. Like, Hey, I, you know, I, I understand that I'm beating you. I'm going to try and beat you straight up for me to bunt right here is a little bit lowbrow, I guess. But I, you know, I think pretty much any time a team is, not even putting a, a defender on the left side of the infield. They're basically saying, I don't think you can get a hit by executing a certain 
punt or a ground ball, a directional ground ball. When you talk like that in, in my line of questioning, I, I started to think about now take all the asterisks away and take away all of the premonitions or the public opinion about a certain player in the game. I'm just talking about straight baseball talent, see the ball, hit the ball, pure just baseball IQ and talent, Barry Bonds. I know I don't care about personally, I don't care what if somebody goes, I didn't like the way he treated a reporter. I'm talking about the intentional walks, maybe seeing one to two pitches a ball game. Being intentionally walked with the bases loaded several times in a career. What is your opinion of being a left-handed hitter at that level of what he was able to do just on a talent, just a pure, just a pure baseball talent wise of being, knowing that he's probably not going to see maybe but one strike in the hitting zone a game. That's what it seemed like for several years, especially the last 10 years of his career when he was with the Giants. Maybe not as much when he was with Pittsburgh. Do you know what I'm saying there, Charlie Blackman? Would it have been tough to be successful as he was seeing one pitch a game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think um, I think it's always tough to know the strike zone when you don't see strikes, right? If you go up there and a guy's spraying balls all over the place, it's almost like sometimes you need to see one in the zone to, to, to like lock in on that's what it looks like. That's the pitch I want to be swinging at. And if guys are dancing around you and you see it a lot, maybe big situations – middle of the order hitter, they can, they can sort of afford to pitch around him. Um, say, you know, a lot of times that guy's really hot and they'll just sort of, they'll maybe challenge him with one pitch, like on trying, you know, sneak one on the corner. And then after that, they'll try and, you know, elevate or expand off the plate and hope that that hitter chases. But you know, it's so hard to be locked in with your strike zone when you're not seeing strikes. And he, he rarely saw strikes and, uh, and it seemed like he would get the one strike and punish it. And it was, I mean, it, it's impressive to be that good. Um, and I also think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not something that will be achieved again. I, I hopefully, I think the game is, is pretty competitive and, there's, you know, pretty much everybody's on the same playing field. So I don't think you'll see one guy dominate the game like he has. I hope. As a, as a fan of what you do for a living, Charlie, you had to, you had to have grown up a baseball fan. Did it, does it hurt your heart to see somebody like that would never like the, the, that whole era there's been movies made about, there's been documentaries made about, I just watched one called screwball what does it do the taintness of that part of the game of something that should be relished in of what the pure talent was, what was happening at that time in baseball of the absolute just dominance of being able to hit the ball on the nails. When you saw one pitch a game to take that many walks, to have that on base percentage, that all of everything that was going on in that career, does it hurt you as a fan of the game to know that, he might never get on the ballot. Roger Clemens may never get on the ballot. Sammy Sosa, they, these guys were doing things in the game that you love, that you make your living. You raise your family in this game. You were a fan of this game first and foremost before you made your living in it. Does it hurt you or do you say, shouldn't have done that? Um, you know, I think there's the argument. These guys were all good players regardless of, of, of what kind of supplements they took. Um, Yes, it, it seemed to be normal for the time. Um, I, you know, just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that it's right. 
and doesn't necessarily make it more okay for you to do it. Uh, it was exciting. I'm not going to say it wasn't good for the game of baseball. Like I think it was exciting. It brought people to the, to the park to watch, you know, this historic home run. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad we've, we have reigned that era in. I don't want to be in a situation where I feel like I can't compete without putting things in my body that are going to hurt me or, you know, cause me to have a shorter life. You know, I, I just don't feel like that should be the competitive level. I think it should be, you know, how good can you get, push your body certainly to the limits, just not unethically. Um, and I think, you know, I think for that reason, you break the rules, uh, you know, you got to pay the consequences. I think these guys knew what they were getting into. Um, and I do, you know, I do think it, it kind of depends on what you, how, why you play the game. Like, like, why are you here? What do you want? And I think that's kind of how guys make decisions uh, when it comes to enhance performance, enhancing supplements. It's hard for me not to say this to that, and I'm not looking for a rebuttal from you or an answer because I understand your position, but I have a hard time believing that people that could have said something didn't know what was going on. It just seems that the asses were in the seats, the merch was selling, the beers were flowing, the balls were flying out of the field, the stadiums were sold out, and it was almost like, hey, let's just – turn an ear to it if it's whatever it's just like a weird time in the game for me because I don't want the pure talent to be taken out of what was going on and how hard it is to do what was being done but again if you do take PED and you can hit the ball further there's still the argument that you still got to hit the ball you still got to be a good baseball player to put the ball on the bat but it probably is going to be further if you're stronger there's does any a, of that uh, huh? there's a lot more that goes into it so like let's just assume you know, when I'm locked in, I play at this level. Well, I can tell you that there are lots of minor league players that when they're locked in can also play at this level. I promise you, you know, there's got, you know, there's guys on every triple A roster that have way more power than me, more speed than me, all that stuff. You know, the only thing that separates me from them is the fact that, uh, when I play terribly, I play at this level and maybe these guys are down here. And I average somewhere in here while they average somewhere in here. So it's not, you know, if you were to take a ceiling of a player and basically let them play at that ceiling all the time or even higher because they're, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, but they also recover better, which means they have more bat speed every single day, which means they can catch up to pitches they weren't catching up to day before and it's day after day after day like there's a certain level of eliteness that you can probably get to and that's where Barry Bonds got to right and, and I just think that it's it's unfathomable to play 162 games and and stay at that level physically because you just can't recover there's there's travel there's double headers there's extra innings you know there's lots of things where your body is going to end up down here whether you like it or not but if you're on the gravy train, you know, up here every day, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's not competition anymore. It's um, you're going to, you're going to dominate the competition. So, yes, I mean, it takes talent to hit. Like you can't, I can't give somebody off the street, you know, 
steroids or whatever and and drop them into a big league game but it, you can't you can't say oh well if you just minus 10 feet after every ball he hit you know this is what he would have produced in a season it's not as easy as that no that makes total sense and very well said when you talk about energy and recovery and the ability to get up every ab go out there for every pitch as a defensive right fielder was it tougher with no energy or less energy in the stadium with the fake clapping and the fake noise? And the, they even went as far as having 3D cutouts sit there and stare at Charlie Blackman when he's swinging a bat. What did it? Is it is it harder to get up when in that situation in a COVID ridden season like this year? Is it harder to get up? Yes. Um, there, there's not that apparent atmosphere. You know, it's just, you can't just feel the energy because there, there's, there is no energy, but I don't know if that necessarily helps or hurts anybody. Right. I think sometimes, you know, a crazy playoff atmosphere can really help take a player to the next level, like where he's just got so much energy and he can like really slow the game down and really focus. But at the same time, if you, if you, you know, if that's not how you react to stress, so you, you react poorly to stress or your, your mental game isn't as good. A lot of times, that atmosphere can work against you. You know, it can, it can help you. You'll, your mind will be going a mile a minute and you'll be too geeked up and try and swing way too hard. And, you know, like, I think it can hurt you. So it's, it's kind of hard to say uh, if, you know, if guys are, if every player wasn't negatively or positively affected because of the lack of fans, I'm sure it was a little bit of this from, from different guys uh, it was it was certainly interesting. What are you when you see what's going on now with the spikes again? Is do you want to go through? I obviously don't want to go through that again, but it's a real deal right now, right? When it's so it's so short lived that your off season where people are like these guys make a ton of money and they only work this many days. Well, you guys work a lot in a short amount of time in a nine month span. Then you get a little bit of time off, and then you're right back in it working out and and then reporting in February to Scottsdale and Phoenix and spring training for the Rockies. It's right around the corner, really. Do you feel good that? spring training is going to be back to normal again, that baseball is going to be back to normal, or do you think we're going to have to go through this again? If you had to guess. If I had to guess, I would think that there's been an incredible amount of work done on this vaccine. And I think between the people who have already been infected and in theory have already got the vaccine because they're, they've got the antibodies present, you know, if you mix those people with hopefully the amount of people that are going to get the vaccine by, you know, this spring, I think we'll get to a point to where we will have much more of a normal baseball season this year than we had last year. Awesome. What is this long into your career now? And I, I, I love hearing you refer to yourself as one of the older guys when you're still very young, but what do you do you look forward to it still? Are you excited? Do you I know you love the time off. I know you have a wife at home and you have a new puppy and you have a new baby coming and you have all of this stuff going on. There's a lot of different feelings that when you were coming up as a 20-year-old, it's a lot different now. But is the game still the same to you? Do you still get jacked up and so fired up to get back out there with the boys? I think the reason that I was able to keep playing the game and keep making my adjustments and keep kind of rising to the top, you know, in high school and 
junior college and division one and single adult. I think the reasons I am where I am are the reasons that help me like enjoy it every single day. You know, I, I love the game. I want to beat people every single day. Don't care what it is. It just happens to be baseball. Most of the time, you know, I'm very competitive. I always think that I can do better than I did the back before the year before. Uh, and the game's fun. You know, I love it. I, and I know that it's not going to be there forever. And so I think while there's baseball to be played, I think I should do it to the best of my ability because one day I'll be old and fat, you know, like that's, that's the truth of it. And, uh, and so I, you know, I don't, I honestly like, don't, I have, like, I'm not, I don't change a whole lot. Like I still train almost the same way. Like I've tweaked it. Yeah. My, you know, like I've got some s- stuff with, you know, I've learned more about my body. Right. But I still spend as much time and want to be successful at it now as I did when I was you know, 21. Do you have any aspirations to, cause you're very well-spoken and you have a very uncanny ability to talk about baseball, um, in a very, um, picturesque way. Like you explain it very well. Not everybody that can do what you do on the field can teach me how to do what you do on the field. Coaching is a very, very good talent in itself. It's very hard to be a good coach. Do you see yourself going to that level of being a low A, a rookie ball guy? George Brett, first ballot Hall of Famer, silver sluggers, three batting titles in three different decades. The thing that he loves the most in spring training in his 60s right now is talking to the 18-year-olders that just came out of the Dominican or came out of Puerto Rico or came out of high school. He loves going down to those those entry-level athletes and teaching them you know, what's getting ready to happen in their careers. Do you see yourself doing that kind of deal? Do you see yourself being a big league coach, a bench coach, an outfielder coach, a hitting coach? Do you want to coach, Charlie? <laughs> um, I, I will. I know I will always be drawn to the game and will always miss the game when I'm away. Um, and I do think it's it's got to be rewarding to have a lasting impact on someone who plays the game for a living. So I. I or, you know, or just because they love it at an amateur level. So I, I think coaching is, is something I definitely want to do. I just don't know how much I'll want to do it. Uh, you know, I don't know that I can sit here right now and tell you that I want to commit to uh, 162 games at the big league level, plus spring training, plus all the off season meetings, you know, like, I just don't know if that's in the cards for me. Do I, do I want to go to spring training and be on the field in uniform and talk to the guys and, Absolutely. Uh, but I do think there'll be a time, you know, when baseball will eventually be over for me, I'll get old and fat, like I said, and I'll probably step back and, and, and kind of reevaluate what's going on. I'll, I'll have kind of had my, my head down charging in this baseball direction for years and years and years, you know, so I think I'll probably have to step back and reevaluate my life. But when I resume, I think there will always be uh, some sort of baseball in my future. Yeah, I could kind of see you taking the Chipper Jones route of uniform Florida into March, 
you're you're fishing but maybe maybe yeah into march right at the beginning of opening day you're fishing and hunting season you're nowhere near the playoffs or anything he's in the deer woods all the time you're going to be in the duck blind but he still gets to go and teach the younger generation of baseball players he still gets to go to to the to the, watch the braves play once in a while and but it seems to me like um that that might be the route that charlie blackman has is uh you love the outdoors and you can't mix the it's it's hard to mix both of them it's hard because of the working out and the 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 playoffs are going all the way into october now and november a little bit sometimes uh with the world series you and then you got to stay in shape you don't get a whole lot of time to enjoy the outdoors if your season goes you know the way you want it to right right and my problem is like I'll go off the deep end in, in a certain direction. Like when I, when I try something and I like it, I want to get really, really good at it. Uh, and right now I'm really focused on baseball. I think there'll be a time when it's duck hunting. Uh, you know, I'm currently kind of in a phase of, man, I really want to catch all the fish on the planet. Um, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's hard to have too many of those balls up in the air, you know, while you're still playing major league baseball. Uh, you know, I obviously get the most enjoyment out of baseball right now, and I'm so glad to be able to play and I'm going to hold on to that as long as I can. But, uh, I don't know when I get done, if it's going to be, you know, a big league hitting coach position that I really want to be, get really, really good at, like it, it might be something else. And, and I do think, you know, I think everybody owes it to themselves to try some new things and have some new experiences. And, uh, unless you just know like what you want. And I, and I know that baseball is what I want, but I think when I, you know, in 10 years, I'll, I'll maybe see if there's anything else out there that I like. Which is going to be duck hunting with me. If you will come on a trip, <laughs> That's the I still part. think you have time. I still think you have time this season. I think I have time also, but we are, we are uh, in fact pregnant with our first child and, and so sometimes what I think is not necessarily what we think. Uh, so we're, you know, <laughs> we've got to make, we've got to make decisions for the family. Uh, Are you going to go to Arkansas at all? Well, that's see, that's now that's different. That's I can drive to Arkansas. I know it's different. I'm not challenging you. In. That trip is grandfathered in to our marriage actually. So we have a, we have a trip coming up. Um, we're, at, we're like my uncle and my dad and, and, and usually a buddy or two, we kind of drive out and have a long weekend and, and, uh, and hunt in Arkansas. And, and that's, I mean, that's really been my, and, you know, just that one trip alone was my intro to, to waterfowl hunting. And, and, and like I said, you know, once I find something I like, I want to get really, really good at it. And so I've been having to like, curb my enthusiasm for, for duck hunting, uh, right now, but, but yeah, we're going to Arkansas. I love it. You know, I want to come to California and hunt. I want to hunt in Oklahoma. I want to hunt the, you know, Texas. Like I want to go up to the Dakotas. Like I want to do all these things. Um, but right now while we're, while we're pregnant, we're going to do a three day hunt in Arkansas and I'm just going to have to let that be my, my duck hunting. Uh, Are you going to get month. to see Joel when you're there? I, you know, I actually texted him today and, and I really, uh, Joel Wicker, who is super heavily involved in, in the, uh, the Arkansas duck hunting game. Um, I'm going to try and meet him. You know, we've got, we've got hunts every day, but the afternoons are, are pretty, pretty open. So I'm going to 
try and find a way to, to put a name with a face and put a face on a name, shake his hand and, and spend some time with him and, and, um, and, and make sure that, you know, I, I get to ask him some questions and, ho- and hopefully learn some more about it. Yeah. He's, he knows it, especially when it comes to the woods and knowing where to, if you're looking for a piece of property. So that's coming up. You got a baby coming up. Have you sexed the baby yet? It is a girl. Charlie Blackman's going to have a little girl. They're the best. Girl dad. Yeah. That's, I can't find anybody that says it's not awesome. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're, we're thrilled. We're, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we got that feeling of first baby. Are we, are we ready? I think we're ready. Uh, you know, like we have love, you know, peers of, high confidence and then i'm like oh my gosh like i don't know if we can handle it so we're we're riding that roller coaster right now so when it's all said and done and that picture frames around the charlie blackman family how many individual <laughs> human beings are in this picture uh, dogs dogs not included well there's already one dog we got one dog uh there's i know there's going to be more dogs down the road there's probably going to be more humans too. I mean, that's, that's about, that's, that's about, about all you know. Right right now. <laughs> is your dog with Brad right now? My dog is in South Georgia with Brad at Mossy Pond Retrievers. We, we went down to visit him uh, last weekend. He's doing, he's doing good. He's, he's looking good. He's working with the e-caller right now. So he's, uh, he seemed to be responding really well to the electronic caller and, you know, they, they were doing a good job of explaining to me how it works. And they're basically, they have the, uh, the rope on them. I can't remember the name of the rope, but the rope is, it's like a leash, you know, that's like his negative feedback, but now they're, they're working in the e-collar along with the rope. So now, and it makes sense, like his negative feedback, which is the e-collar will always to, to my dog, Ozzy feel like just a really long leash. You know, and that's kind of how he'll associate the e-collar, which is genius. You know, well, so, so I yeah, the lead they got a—they're using a lead on him. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. There, there's so many the, the 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 drills that they put them through at Mossy Pond, and a lot of dog trainers. But Brad, did you meet Lee when you were down there? I think I met everybody. There, Great place. A handful of trainers and and. Brad's wife is a, Ellen is a sweetheart and it's just, everybody's super nice. And, and I can, I know that because I consider my dog an excellent judge of character. And when he was down there, he was so happy to see every single trainer, every single person, you know, there was nobody that he shied away from. He was just loving life. Um, I agree a hundred percent. I think that that's one of the things Brad always talks about is how happy the dogs are there has he got you on the right kind of food yet? We had some trouble with Ozzy earlier, uh, with his stomach situation. He had some giardia, he had some, some, some weird symptoms, but once he got down there, got on a routine, uh, he's got his food figured out and his energy's way up. He's, he's gained his weight. He's growing fine. So he's going to be all right. Did Brad help with that? I think they do a really good job of managing like day to day, how the dog's feeling and understanding what his energy is like. And, uh, and yeah, they, they were, they were on top of it. Brad helped and we're going to, we had some special mama had him on like prescription dog food and we're going to, we're going to transition him onto regular dog food. Uh, 
And that's, I mean, that's already begun. Oh, does it start with an E? Yes, it does. Yeah. We're, <laughs> Ukenuba, I guess, is. Oh, uh, you're going to love what it. I, what I've been, you know, that's what we initially started with. And then I, I think he was eating rabbit poop in the yard and that threw his stomach in a, in a loop. Um, but, you know, we're, we're transitioning him back onto the Ukenuba. Okay. Well, along the same lines, let's talk about what you're enjoying right now as far as table fair and the culinary arts of our great country here in Atlanta. There's a lot of different things to choose from there, but give me a rundown of, I, I, you come across as a guy that like you see food and you'll hammer it. There's probably not a lot of pickiness. Now I might be wrong, but now let's talk. Is it everything from steaks to a burger, to a burrito, to sushi, to, uh, does it, is it everything across the board in the Charlie Blackman diet? There's only like two or three things I won't eat. One of them is like acorn squash and like, and that's pretty much it. Like that's, I mean, I, <laughs> I like it all. I, uh, I, uh, I mean, I love barbecue, really like barbecue. Like we're gonna, we're actually, I got a, a, a smoker that you sent me, sent me a Traeger. So we got a, a Traeger and we're going to like, what we had planned for this week is we're going like tomahawk steaks the first night, then we're going to smoke some turkey, then we're going to smoke a ham, and then hopefully at some point we we get to smoke some some duck breast. But um, but it's it's I'm equal opportunity food smasher. Like I don't want anybody to feel left out. Thanksgiving's maybe my favorite holiday, um, so I'm. I'm, I'm pumped on those tomahawks. Are you a master of, of creating an awesome beef experience? Charlie Blackman, can you throw down with the best of them on a dry rub? Are you a Ziploc bag with a wet marinade on it? Are you an injector? Um, like, like there's a certain way to do a tomahawk, especially when you start talking about the thickness of a bone in ribeye tomahawk steak, I mean, just the entire Fred Flintstone aura around even putting that on your plate and saying, I'm going to eat that. Like it takes a special attitude approach, visualization. I mean, it's not easy to take down a tomahawk. You got to make it. They, they don't come along very often. You got to make uh, it perfect. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little intimidated by these like really fancy, like holiday cuts of meat, not just your everyday steak or burger. So I, I don't want to screw it up. So I, I, I kind of rely on the like thermometer quite a bit. But to be honest, my, my dad is, is the grill master and I'm like the like young Jedi apprentice. Like I'm like working my way up, but we're going to, we're going to inject the Turkey. We're going to, we're going to, I mean, we're going to like steer the tomahawks and, and then we're, you know, and then cook the, cook it up to like medium rare in the middle, you know, I mean, it was, it's going to be good. I'm not that great at it. I'm more of like a let's just shoot from the hip guy. My dad's like to, likes to plan it a little better. So I think we'll, we'll come out with some, with some good food. If I could give you one piece of advice on those tomahawks, I would do what they call the reverse sear on them. And I'm being for real. I'm being honest. You could take this for what it's worth, but dry rub 275 on the grill internal temperature with your thermopan. Now you can use the thermometer on the Traeger too, but a more precise reading is going to come from a brand called a thermopan. If you want to get one of those, they are worth their weight in gold. 
internal temperature of right around 124. That's pretty specific. 124. Okay. Take it off. Sure. You're going to have a you're going to have a cast iron you're going to have a cast iron griddle going or just a searing pan of cast iron pan, either on the oven. I use what they call a Traeger Ranger, which is a little box grill that they make that comes with a searing plate and a grill. I have the searing plate in there at 450 degrees waiting. And when that comes off at 124, I hit it for two and a half minutes on each side until it reaches about 130. Then I take it off all heat. I let it rest for 15 minutes, cut it off with the tomahawk bone, and then cut it against the grain, slice it against the grain at 133, and it'll be the best piece of meat you ever taste in your life. Oh, I like that. So you, you cook the, you cook it to medium rare or whatever. One, you cook then, the then you sit first, and then you sear it last to like seal everything in. 100% you just nailed on the head and here's why I learned from a guy in Florida named Chad Ward who owns Whiskey Bent Barbecue if you ever want to learn like from the man I could introduce you to Chad he'll be more than happy he's he went to George Brett's house with me in, in Kansas City and we George is like you could not make a steak taste good on a Traeger we cooked bone in ribeyes George sat around his counter that night and he said that's the best piece of meat I've ever eaten in my life so when you sear something first you cut you 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 create all of that you know all of that blood flow goes away as far as like being able to breathe and being able to bring all of those flavors of that dry rub in there that salt and pepper in there that garlic whatever you choose as your flavor profile it just sears it off and it's like you you burn your skin and it scabs over nothing can get in there right so if you let it cook slowly to that internal temp and then all of a sudden you hit it with that high heat it seizes all of that flavor in there and does doesn't let any of it come out so that's kind of the theory of the reverse sear they know it way better than i do when you hear these professional barbecue grill masters talk about it or discuss it but that's kind of the overlying theory behind the reverse sear is cook it to temp sear the flavor in there let it sit 15 minutes slice it against the grain and i'm talking like blow your mind meat mm. All That's right. how I would tell your old man how to hit that rib that that All bone right. in ribeye. I'll uh, I'll grill him with a few questions before he before he starts cooking those tomahawks, and then if if he like gets out of line, I'll like hey, I'll I'll let him know that he's doing it wrong, and then I, yeah, I'll but. Be, a lot of people think searing is the, the answer, but I don't, I did it for years and it's just, this is just a better way to prepare meat. It just makes more sense and it tastes so much better in my opinion, but not to say your dad's don't tell your dad that Belding said, Oh, your steak's going to suck. <laughs> that would be, a, that, would, that would be a really nice way. Someday meet him in duck camp and go, all right, kid, you want to have a little bit of a competition? have a little uh, grill off right now man i don't know what else i don't know what else to say you just made me really hungry with that that week's worth of menu that you have like that's going to be a heck of a uh, a heck of a cholesterol week for you yeah yeah that's okay i work out you know i'm still pretty young i got those good genes um and that's you know that's that's not including the dessert i plan on eating um but yeah it's i'm, I'm pumped it's gonna be a great week this is this time of year from right now until new year's is like i, I was talking to a, a singer today about optimism and positive outlook on life and i know that there's been a lot of downturn in our in our communities lately you know whether it was the election whether it was covid whether it was just the the riots there's been a lot of negativity and to find some solace in this and this time of year is that time to go hey family 
friends, positivity, optimistic lookout, get the grill out, learn how to do these ribeyes, learn how to brine a turkey. Do you do a wet brine? Do you do a dry brine? How do you brine a turkey? Do you understand what brining a turkey means and how to get the best flavor out of a 24 to a 30? The turkey that we're doing, 47 pounds raised on this farm here. I'll, sh- I'll send you pictures of it. It'll blow your mind, like how big these turkeys are that this rancher raises here. But it's a very intimidating deal. You don't want to Clark Griswold it when you hit it with the knife and it just like that and he's just like whoa now what do we do and and cousin eddie's like i don't know about the clock or the cat clark but it tastes good to me i'm sure enjoying it you you kind of look like cousin eddie now that i'm thinking about it with the mullet right now but the can you really take a turkey and make it an awesome piece of meat to where it's not dried out? That's what I challenge people. Stay optimistic. Stay positive. Challenge yourself a little bit and get a week's worth of, of recipes ready to go. It sounds to me like the ham is probably going to be the easiest one. But the turkey, I'd like you to t- report back to me and let me know if you are you do are you doing it on the Traeger? I think what we're going to do is we have a, another ceramic grill that we're going to use for the turkey. But I think at the same time, we're going to cook the ham on the Traeger, and then I might be forgetting something. I, I hope that you have that reversed. You think the turkey needs to go on the Traeger? Oh, dude, I'm talking. the It's amazing turkey. I promise you. Um, amazing. Especially yeah. if you brine it. Oh, we're going to do that. We are going to do that. Yeah, if you brine it right, and that I'm talking that smoky Traeger, uh, it's it. I I don't know. I'm a believer in it. I just think that it's a great. It's just so moist and turkey's easy to mess up. You can mess yeah, up a I've turkey in a heartbeat. Turkey. I've had some dry turkey, but I I think we'll we'll sort it out. It'll be okay. I we expect won't go f- hungry at the very. Yeah. Now is this does this Thanksgiving dinner on the actual Thanksgiving? Does it have? yams candy yams sweet potatoes does it have green bean casserole mashed potatoes homemade gravy with giblets in it like do you guys go all out southern style on this thanksgiving dinner so we're going this year wife's pregnant and she is like an amazing cook but this year we're going to make it easier on her and it's a bit of a potluck like me and dad were cooking the meat ashley's cooking the sweet potatoes and then it's kind of like there's always going to be there's always going to be stuffing cranberry sauce there's going to be, there's usually a green bean casserole. Um, and then hopefully somebody makes a pecan pie. But that's pecan usually, those pie. are the staples in the Blackman family. Do you have to have every bite? Are you a, a mixer of your food plate, Charlie Blackman? Can you take a piece of turkey, apply a little bit of mashed potato on top of it, and then a little bit of cranberry? Or do you separate everything? I think if you separate your food and eat it one at a time, you are a crazy person. Like (laughs) I do not trust you at all. Like for me, like if it was acceptable, I would just like stir it all up and like one perfect, you know, like one, like a shake, just just turn it into like a soup and like eat it all. But yeah, I like it. I mean, I'll have to like scoop a little bit of everything to make the perfect bite. When you first started dating Ashley, did you ever get embarrassed with the way that you ate? You probably didn't have the beard, which is tough to keep clean in a meal like what we're talking about right now. But was it tough to like be that guy that loves to mix and sop up something with a biscuit? Or was she right along with you like, hey, free for all right now. Get after it. Uh, I was probably a little nervous, so I, I couldn't eat like I couldn't let my true self shine through early, you know, and then there were certain food groups you know, that I just had to avoid altogether that just don't like, don't go well with the beard. 
you know, like, like there's no, there's not going to be any wings. Like we're not going to eat hot wings, you know, on a first date or anything like that. Um, but now, I mean, we're pretty, you know, unfortunately, like I, I tricked her just enough into like marrying me now. It's like, <laughs> I, you know, no rules. So. <laughs> now the real Charlie comes out, wing sauce everywhere, pasta, marinara all over your shirt. Well, man, I appreciate you being here. I really, really think we should make an effort to get in the woods and, shoot some stuff just add some stuff table you don't, you don't have to hit it just add some stuff that's that's the goal yeah. i mean that's that's the goal that's part of the goal that's part of my grand scheme you know that's that's for sure going to happen it's just when is uh is always the the question okay watch this that i'm sending you i don't know if you've been seeing anything that we post but um I'm just going to send you one quick thing to, to go out on. This is the week that you were coming hunting with me, right? You were going to be with me last. When were you going to be with me? November, like 15th. So this, this last week, this is what we did six days in a row. That's coming your way right now. Let me, do you have your phone on you? I got it. Let me know if that comes through. I wish I could airdrop it, but you're too far away. I'll let you know when it's there. It's almost there. I just wish you would have came out because it was like, prime time like it, we hit it right like we would have hit it so right i don't mean to rub it in on you but we would have hit it so right thanks, thanks. no you're welcome <laughs> you're gonna even be more welcome after you watch that real quick okay it should be coming through you got it yeah it just popped up okay turn your phone sideways yeah I'll give you a hint. It's more than one bird. <laughs> you got to rewind it. You looked at me at the wrong time. Yes. Right in the hole, Charlie. Right in the pocket. I mean, that's... Just watch it. Guys. Watch it. 18 of them. One go. Every flock, Charlie. Every flock, Charlie. Dude, who's who's the, who's the fist pump guy in the end? <laughs> that was that was Riley Haw. That's that was, Riley Haw. That, that, that would have been you. Yeah. He's a, he's a big fan of you. He's got the long hair, don't care going right now too. All right, well, let's stay in touch. I guess the next time that I'm probably going to see you if I don't if I don't come to Arkansas, which I don't know what's going to happen with my trips to Arkansas, but we'll probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, be spring training. Spring training. We're gonna have the most normal spring training ever. You're, you're invited. If I'm invited, can I please take a couple hacks with you just so you can see what I can do with the stick? Yeah. Yeah, we 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 can make that happen. We'll let me just hit a few out of the yard. We'll let you we'll let you out there. We'll we'll see what we can do. I'll sign a waiver, but I don't want it to be like I'm not saying that I want Wade out on the bump. Wade, is Wade gonna be with the Rockies again this year? Uh you know, I don't I don't think so. But I think have you talked to him lately? Yeah, I talked. Well, it's been a little while. I I talked to him like right after the season was over. Uh, You know, he's I don't know where he's going to be next year. I'm sure he'll be somewhere. I hope, you know, I hope I hope he's not pitching against us every other night. But uh, yeah, he's dirty. He's dirty. Good player. He's dirty. Well, I don't want to go and face Wade, but if I could just go in there with maybe like a 67 to 72 mile an hour L screen, I just want to hit a few, just a couple yeah. in the tunnel maybe. If we do get to go out on the yard, though, I would like to try to lose one. Yeah, well, I mean, 
that's kind of the whole point, right? <laughs> I'm going to send you videos, man. You'd be surprised. I got a pretty good little hack on me, buddy. You know what you need to do? You need to go to fantasy camp. I don't want to go to fantasy camp. I want to get drafted for real. <laughs> well, if at any point you think that your draft days have passed you by, then fantasy No, they haven't. Can you send a cross-checker tonight to watch me in a city league? No, I don't think that's how it works. I think, I think City League is, is not exactly heavily scouted. You know, I, I think you're going to slip through the cracks if you're playing in City League. Sometimes those lights mess with your vision and you don't get to see the arc in the softball pitch very easily. It's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Charlie Blackman, I wish I had your hair. I love the flannel. You look like a perfect holiday specimen right now, ready for the tomahawks, the ham, the turkey, everything that goes with it. Send me a picture. Send me a video of you grilling. Of Maybe FaceTime me with your dad out there, and I will throw down a couple hints just to get his juices flowing a little bit on this steak idea. All right. All right. I could use a little help, you know. All right. If you want any more videos of my hunts, just text me and I will be more than happy to keep feeding them to you. And uh, they're getting them good in Arkansas right now. So hopefully you get there sooner than later. There's a lot of ducks there right now. Maybe I'll send you a video, Chad. Do you have a video of you? Of what? You a video of of my hunt this weekend. So are you going to Arkansas this weekend? Yeah, this weekend. Oh, please send me videos. Yeah, I'll be there. Three days. Are you going to use your jargon duck calls? I've been working. It's just, it's intimidating to get out there in front of other people, you know, and like, and let it rip. Well, wait till you hear Joel Wicker. That dude's on a different level. I I feel confident that I'm, I'm, I'm like a duck calling 101. Like I've made it through, like I, anyway, I, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let my mouth outrun my skill yet. I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see how it goes. Well, I, I, I am as below average, average at best duck caller. You think you're good when you're out here where I'm at right now. You get to Arkansas and every eight-year-old kid with a duck call in their pocket will hand you your you-know-what. Like, I don't even talk down there. No, it's a way of life down there. It's a cool play, cool way to grow up. It's, uh, I like to go to Max Prairie Wings and just like, like just list. You know, like, that's the place to be if you like to, to hunt ducks. And then if you're trying to learn anything about duck calling just go in there and anybody who has the balls to stand up and max prayer wings and blow a duck call is very very good yeah it's it's not something i'm about to do you're either good or you're asking for it because you're going to get some eyeballs like you don't like have any concept of what's like where you are or you're exactly what you're doing and that's why you're up there yeah, hopefully that's the case. A lot of times, though, more often than not, it's the latter. Like, uh, I mean, the the what you said first was, do you uh, do you know where you're at right now? This is like the land of the best duck callers of all time right now. They've all been right there. But you never know until you try. Like that's why I want to come to Rocky's spring training and just see if maybe the manager walks out and says, "Hey, who's your agent?" You just never know. <laughs> I'm not trying to take away what you do is making it easy. I'm just saying I have this weird notion that I'm going to be in the big league someday still. Okay. Well, hold on to that. (laughs) Hold on to that. Don't ever let that go. That's. Hey, thank you for what you said on the Rich Eisen show. Thank you for what you said on Sport Techie. They were were great interviews. You were the man, one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball right now, Charlie Blackman, Colorado Rockies. 
check him out at Chuck Nasty. You can check out the fish he's catching, hopefully some ducks this weekend. Are you going to post a picture of this turkey or these ribeyes? I, I probably should. Yeah, you're that foodie guy. I probably should. Throw yeah. it down. Any closing words? Any, like, thing that you can tell me, like, just any good-natured saying that you can give me right now for Thanksgiving week? Don't eat yellow snow. Don't play leapfrog with a unicorn. Uh, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Oh, yeah. you'd be happy. You got something to eat this week. I am. I'm humbled by it. That's Charlie Blackman. Tom hit that button. This is Leith Loft. And what you going to do when the money's all gone? This has been another episode. This life ain't for everybody podcast. Thank you all so much. We'll be back at you with another exciting episode soon. Thank you for supporting the partners and sponsors that support us. Jack Daniels. Thank you for another great episode. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving. Gemini.